This is Masters in Travel, a rendezvous with the intersection of travel and business to accelerate your success. I'm your host, Whitney Schindler, owner of Undiscovered Sunsets. Each week, we have one goal in mind, to provide advice, insights, and resources to help you maximize your potential. Get ready to become a master in travel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Masters in Travel. I'm your host, Whitney. I'm going to go out on a limb today and say that we quite possibly have one of the coolest jobs in the world. We travel, we explore, we work with clients to plan their dream vacations and getaways. Whenever a client calls, there's always excitement in the air as they tell us what they have in mind for their next adventure. At the beginning, for me personally, I said yes to every fam I was invited on, and I attended as many trade shows and industry events as I possibly could. A dinner event? Yes. A lunch and learn? I'll be there, without question. This was great at the very beginning when I didn't know anyone and I didn't know what my future clients would be asking for. So I wanted to know it all. It wasn't until I was able to progress a little further on in my business and look back that I started to realize that saying yes to every opportunity and attending every trade show possible may not be the most time efficient nor the most cost effective way to run a business, especially when we're not earning a lot of money at the very beginning. Rather than trying to learn everything in an attempt to be prepared for a client's call, I feel we should rather accept fam invitations, plan personal travels and register for trade shows with intention, with the business that we would like to build in mind, not what a hypothetical client may or may not potentially request sometime in the future. So if everyone listening realized this much earlier on in your business than I did, kudos to you and bravo. Today, I am joined by three tremendous advisors, Emily Lockhart-Furry, owner of Travel Looks Official. Emily, I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks, Whitney. Sarah Brooke-Austin is managing partner and travel advisor at Curry & Co. Travels. Sarah, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And Beth Bastian of Bastian World Travel. Beth, as always, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for having me back, Whitney. So let's start with the fun stuff. How do each of you decide where to travel each year for your personal travels? I'm thinking trips with your family, trips with friends, with your kids, with your partner. Is your decision on where to travel driven strictly by personal desires somewhere that you want to go? Or do you also consider your professional needs in this decision-making process and approach it more like a personal fam in which you're actively trying to meet contacts in the industry, learn about things that will help with clients in the future? Maybe it's a destination that your clients are always requesting and you haven't been there yet, or a little bit of both. Emily, I'm going to throw this one to you first, because I feel like every time we talk, you're on your way somewhere different, (laughs) which I love. So tell me, how are you approaching the destinations that you select for your personal travels? So it's making me laugh because I feel like I'm all over the place with this. Sometimes it's because a client has requested information on a new place I've never sold. Other times I just want to bring my family there. And typically they're just drug along for the ride because usually I'm having meetings just to supplement, you know, time in the destination and to meet new contacts. So it really is a mix. But I've found that most of the places I've been in the last three years since I had my child, she's three now, so have been driven by the desire to take her there. Before that, I was actually, I started in 2015 fully in the luxury travel space and was a photographer before that. So coming into it with that perspective of traveling with our clients, that's what got me initially interested in this business. And when I started my business, I decided I would go to one new destination per month in 2016, which was very difficult in terms of financial aspect. Right. 
but I was a dedication to myself, basically, like I held myself to it that I would do that for myself. And then I grew so much just traveling solo. I learned how to navigate things that I had not done before, maybe traveling with another person or with a group. And at that point, I had not been invited on many fans just because I had no sales and no one knew me. And as a home-based agent, I think so many times we we are isolated and getting in some FaceTime with other uh, relationship building kind of aspects of the trip is really important. And I learned that in 2016. So I was traveling to one new destination internationally per month. I went to Ixtapa, Cabo, uh, places that I wanted to sell. And that's really what dictated where I went. I wanted to see a certain resort. So I would stay there two or three nights. And it wasn't ever a very extended trip. It would be very quick and short, but I would get enough content to feel like I understood. You know, that was the primary purpose of the trip. Mm -hmm. I I really love that because I think especially when you get started, I serendipitously had been living abroad. So people weren't surprised when I said I'm going to start my business. So that gave me a little boost. But when I've worked with other advisors since then, and they're living in the US, and maybe they've traveled the world throughout their life. But it's hard because when you first get started, people are like, well, why, why should I book with you? Do you like, I love that you went to one new destination for 12 months straight, because for anyone that was near and dear to you, and who already knew you when you started, they were watching you. Right. about when I would travel. And I was still timid because again, for 13 plus years, people trusted me as a photographer. And I was shooting New York Fashion Week, weddings, all kinds of things, portraits. So I had family clients every year that I would meet and see, but they were seeing me do this now. And it's like a total 180, right? (laughs) From what Mm -hmm. I was doing. So I think for them to become clients and trust me, they had to see me doing that to know that I knew enough for them to trust me with their travel. Yes. And that didn't happen overnight. So it's like building that relationship of the familiarity of me traveling as well as them trusting me with their travel. Just, I'm just curious because I know you said you're a photographer and you're, you're shooting in the U.S. With that one month international destination goal, was that because you didn't have a lot of international travel experience or? I didn't get on an airplane until I was nine. So most people that I met as travel, a new travel advisor had been summering in France and all of these amazing sounding lives. And I stayed in rural Texas my entire life. And so once I started traveling with my client, I was going to Mexico every other weekend to shoot a wedding. So I had tons of international experience, but it was to the same destination, Cancun, Cabo, or And with that in mind, I wanted to go to the places I had never been. So like Ixtapa was one of the places I thought was just beautiful. And at the time, Capella Ixtapa existed. Now it's Cala Del Mar. Fabulous place. But I didn't know any of these places as an advisor. Mm -hmm. So even to revisit Cancun as an advisor was completely different than as a, you know, consumer and just going with a client. And that's actually where my business came from because I was traveling with these clients. My husband was a videographer. He's still doing that, by the way. So we're both self-employed. It's very hard, but we were traveling together and he got sick of traveling because we were taking eight bags to the airport and traveling with all this equipment. And by the end of it, he was like, I don't want to travel. So he turned down trip to Tahiti with me. Who doesn't go to Tahiti with their wife? Oh my goodness. 
is really funny because he he was burnt out, you know, but yeah. we were traveling so much. So I understand why now looking back, I was like, why didn't you want to go anywhere? Because we were doing that so much. But I think it's a different pretense when you're a, an advisor. You're not there to relax and lounge. And yes, it's a perk. That's the biggest misconception of my job is that they think I'm, you know, when I had my baby in the summer, it was April of 2017. I ended up going later that year to, I was invited to Turtle Island in Fiji to give a review. They were trying to become virtuoso and they were going through this whole process of like getting reviews from advisors and and I was invited to go and give my feedback and I loved the trip but my baby was four months old and I actually had people messaging me not on Facebook like visible to others but messaging me to say that I abandoned my child oh no and oh my goodness built, of course but I, they didn't understand what I was there to do like they have no idea so I think so much of our job is we're trying to portray this to our clients, right? We're also there at the same time trying to learn. They have no idea what goes into this. And and I think that's taught me the most is like traveling is the only way you can really experience it for yourself to know what your clients need to know. And without doing that, I was making this commitment to tell people, oh, you could travel here, but how could I do that if I hadn't been? Mm-hmm. That's why I don't sell Africa. We have an Africa specialist on our team who gets all of our Africa business. She lives in Africa. So it's very different than me going there once and saying I'm an Africa expert, which I think happens so much. Mm -hmm. So I only say if I've experienced it multiple times that I'm an actual specialist. And each person on our team follows that rule as well. When you were choosing where to go in those first 12 months, was everything international but close, like places like in the Caribbean and in Mexico? Or how were you deciding where you wanted to go? That was when I had hardly any clients, to be honest. And it was all my desire. So like, oh, I've never been here. Or I've been to Turks and Caicos now 15 times in January. It will be my 15th trip. We honeymooned there. I've been multiple times. We've been to every island, Ambergris Cay, all the way to South Caicos, Middle Caicos, North Caicos, like all these places that people think Grace Bay and that's it. It's so mm-hmm. much more than that. But in terms of what I had seen, it was limited since I hadn't traveled my whole life. <laughs> and I don't regret that because when I started to travel, it changed my world. And it showed me that that's what I want from my daughter. And that's what really caused me to want to go these other places, you know, and sometimes it's more remote where I feel like what is an experience I have not had? Could I go to a private island? Could, and a week, I could never afford that before I started actually getting clients. So that was mm-hmm. the thing. It was driven by if I had a client who wanted me to go there, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Sarah Brooke, I know that you just went to St. Bart's, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Their last month. I really have enjoyed seeing all the advisors in St. Bart's recently. I haven't been. And so it's really making me want to go. How are you deciding where to travel? You know, are there needs for the agency and hotels that you want to go see? And then you enjoy a little bit of vacation there as well? Or how are you approaching this? So it kind of depends. It's always, I mean, I think I speak for pretty much everyone in the industry where like part of the reason why we're in this career is because we're passionate about travel and we want to experience the world. So I think like a lot of my decisions are driven by places that I want to experience personally or I want to become, you know, an expert at selling. And then a lot of the other places that I haven't been, for example, like Japan is top of my list. I have a lot of client interest there. So I think a lot of that's tied together. So it's kind of, it, it depends. Like I sometimes I'm invited to see hotels, St. Bart's I've been to a dozen times. I'm the office expert in St. Bart's, I'd say. And they wanted me to come see the renovations after Hurricane Irma. I hadn't been since then. And, you know, it was a great time to, to go. Um, it wasn't super crowded and it was great to experience the the island again. I think it's a really good point to bring up that 
sometimes you're not sure like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Do we go somewhere because we're receiving a lot of requests or do we go somewhere because we would like to be receiving more requests for that destination? So I, that's how I've begun approaching things in the last couple of years. And I wish I would have started from the beginning with this mindset. A, a couple of very, very loyal clients came to me and wanted safaris. And I had never been on safari. So you know how, how it is to sit and try to learn about a totally new type of travel, but I really enjoyed it. And so I prioritized in 2019. Doesn't matter where in Europe I need to see, doesn't matter the Caribbean, I'm going on safari. I need to know more about this. I need to be able to speak to this from personal experience, not only because it's being asked for, but because I want to grow my business in this area. And if I can show that I've been there, if I can talk about it, if I can talk about the experience from personal experience, then that's going to help me sell it more. And that's going to attract more of that type of business, right? So Beth, I'm, I'm interested to know how you approach this as well, because I know that Italy and Greece are really big for you. And I know that Greece, you've been multiple times since I'm over here saying, well, I don't really get a lot of Greece inquiries. So why do, why should I go there if it's not a personal desire? And she'll tell you she's been there a million times and it's one of the top destinations she sells. So what do you think comes yeah, first? The I know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost like you're putting it out there in the universe. You love this destination. So then do clients see that on your social media and, you know, feel, you know, when I have a client that calls me about Greece, I think they feel that storytelling just come alive because, you know, we can all market and sell something that we know personally. But what's interesting is I also have my own personal wander list, right? So it's always that kind of push and pull like, okay, I need to be smart about this because I do not not have an unlimited budget. I wish I did. But where are those couple trips a year going to be? And I think like Sarah Brooke mentioned, I also have a lot of inquiries. I had in 18 and 19, I had a lot of inquiries in Japan. And it's one of the destinations in the world I haven't been to. And I was like, I guess I better add that to my list. But then personally, the more off the grid, the better, which doesn't always speak to my business. So it's like, well, I really want to get to Bolivia, but I don't really have people knocking down my door for Bolivia. But then again, the chicken or the egg, once mm -hmm. you put it out there and once you can speak to it, you never know where those business opportunities, the new business opportunities can come to, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's hard because at the same time, I was very fortunate before entering in this business, I had already been to 35 countries through my previous career. So I knew I loved travel and those around me knew I could speak to it and I was planning all these trips for free for my friends. So then it gets to a point of like, okay, what's on my personal wander list and what correlates for business? And you kind of try to merge those things together. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you personally really love off the grid. I also know that you have clients who are not fans of off the grid. <laughs> so now my next question is, once you've selected the destination, we still have so many decisions to make as to what we're going to do when we get there and how we're going to spend our time. I have tried to mix business and pleasure. And I personally feel like I come home from a lot of those trips worn out, feeling like I didn't do either one of them properly. So I'm curious, it, Beth, you like off the grid when you travel but then do you also like to pop in or schedule a site inspection or schedule a meeting at the high-end properties, you know, when you're trying to see and experience both so that you can still come home and say, I've been here, I stayed here, but I visited there. So you can really speak to all of your clients. How do you approach the day-to-day -day and the actual activities and hotels that you explore? Well, I feel you when you were just saying, like when you try to do personal and business in one trip, you come back exhausted. And if you have someone with you, whether it's my kids or my boyfriend or whoever, I feel like I'm, I'm never giving a hundred percent to anything, and I see Sarah Brooke and Emily nodding. <laughs> it's like, I was just like so. I'll sleep 
your site visit. I'm like, okay, you go do that and I'll do that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Except what they go do is always more fun than us. <laughs> I was with my okay. husband and my friend. I was like, I need to go visit these two hotels in London. And they're like, we're going to go get a beer. And I was like, I want to go to the pub. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so over the years, you kind of realize okay, when I'm building my own personal itinerary, I'm actually like, now I know, like if I'm traveling for a balance of personal and business, those site visit days, don't book more than two or three sites in a day. You're going to come home to your friends or your family and you're going to be like jealous of what they were doing all day and exhausted. (laughs) So just, I think it's really planning out those itineraries well so that the business side is kind of separated, you know, to a full day and you don't overbook yourself. But when I'm, when you were talking about off the grid, like when I did my Nicaragua trip, I specifically reached out to Corelli and said, look, this is what I love. And this is what's going to speak to my clients. So we did this really amazing, it was just me and the guide. So we had this amazing week where I did things that I know 90% of my clients would be like, you are insane. You went down an active volcano on a piece of wood. Like I'm not doing that. (laughs) And then we went to like our amazing luxury five-star partner, Morgan's Rock, which is incredible luxury property. So, but again, just making sure you kind of pre-plan that, right? So that what you said earlier, you're just not coming back going, um, that was really exhausting. And I didn't really do anything as well as I wanted to, you know? Mm -hmm. Emily, have you found a balance with this? I was going to say she's making me laugh because I find that all of my trips are so the last thing I'm planning. And Mm. I feel like I show up in the destination and then I'm like, this is what I'm going to do and just go with a plan on the, I'm not a planner for myself, for my clients to a T, right? And like, I know everything about them and what they want. But then when it's my turn, I'm like, oh, this, I didn't have time for this. So, so many of my trips are, when I get there, I'm like, oh, let's try this restaurant or but so I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the authority on this for sure. <laughs> Have you found a balance, Sarah? I it's hard to say. I mean, I feel like any trip I go on, whether it's strictly personal, like it's my husband and I or, you know, my family with my mom and my brother, I think I always am tying in something work wise. I can't not go see a hotel or I can't not, you know, meet the GM or the sale my sales rep for drinks while I'm there. Yeah. Even if it's nation like I go to every year but I always try to like even in St. Bart's try and like build in activities that I know my clients would be doing whether it's like doing a local hike that goes to a a beach or building in an afternoon to try and you know sit on the beach for two hours and a sample of frozen cocktail something that I can that I can bring back and sell to my clients because I, I think that experiencing the destination like the clients would is truly the best selling factor. Uh, so it's just trying to find that balance between work. And it's it's really hard because you want to see as much as you can. You're spending the money to be down there um, and you want to make the most of it. But you don't want to come back like needing a vacation from, I guess it's not really a vacation, but it, it's hard, you know? I always felt like it would be a wasted opportunity if I didn't have a meeting or didn't, you know, right? and that's a Instead of us just hustling and just being in that, yep. of, we have to get clients, we have to do this. And what will my clients think if they see me at this place or what, you know, it's constant. So I think it's hard for me personally to just relinquish that and actually enjoy it. My husband expects it though. He's like, okay, she's going to go to a meeting. So it's, <laughs> I trained him. And it's, and it's such a 24 seven business, I think too, that like in my old job, it was 
a nine to five, eight to five, and you kind of turn off when you go home. But here I'm kind of always thinking about my clients, thinking about their trips. And it's the same thing when I'm traveling myself. What can I do? It's a constant wheel, you know, of of thinking. I just I just feel like the business is much more 24-7 than than another corporate one. Absolutely. Tell our clients, like we've had this conversation with multiple clients that our version of selling travel is more of a lifestyle. So like them seeing us travel is what we want them to see, not the logistics and the craziness. So what I'm selling on social media is my lifestyle. So for that reason, we have like all of our agents, it's seven of us, by the way, it's so we're all linked on our own personal profile. So we all post there and then it's shared to travel looks official because we want them to see that we're actually doing this you know mm-hmm. and I think before my life would have, I could never have sold travel when I was 15 or 20 because I had not been anywhere. Um, and it's so interesting now to see how far I've come personally flying and doing these things that I would have never guessed, you know, I could have this as a career and a lifestyle. Especially now too with COVID, I think it's so important to be able to explain to our clients that are willing to travel and able to travel that want to get out there, how it can be done. That was a huge reason why I went to St. Bart's. I wanted to see what they needed to go to to get through to get there. Uh, the protocols in place. I mean, you know, flying through St. Martin, what was needed? What, how was everything on the island in St. Bart's? And same with our other advisors that are going to Mexico, Turks and Caicos, Granada, kind of everywhere. Just seeing what the resorts are doing. That's a really that's a really good point. And I don't know if any of you gals that re- that traveled during COVID. I mean, I I had two trips already, one to Alaska and one cross country. And I like for social media purposes, I was like, wait, do I put it out there that I'm on an airplane? Yeah. And I did. I showed, I had the face shield. I showed the process, what it looks like, how to be safe, you know, the negative test upon arrival and all of that. And I think, you know, we've had to adjust for our clients that are still wanting to experience a change of scenery in some way. So Sarah Brooke, I like that you brought that up because I I do think our choices of destinations in 2020 has been a little upside down. We're kind of on the front lines, I think, with our travel now and needing to be intentional with where we choose to go in 2021. I mean, it'll be bringing tourism back to these destinations. You know, I I think that it's, that's a huge thing. It's just like our founder, Betty Jo, she was, you know, the first, one of the first people to go to the Middle East after 9-11. Getting back out there after, after this pandemic, it's, it's going to be us on the front lines if we're comfortable and able to travel. I'm glad you mentioned um, going to the Middle East because I was going to say when it's not a pandemic, I feel like travel advisors are still very much on the front line. And I've received a lot of questions after coming home of was that safe? What was it like to travel there? Could we really go there? And of course, my answer is always yes. But if I'm not able to speak from personal experience, it's hard to really convince that client. But the Middle East is one of my favorite places in the world. And it's so beautiful and culturally rich. And so I actually see that as a responsibility of travel advisors of go and do so that you can show advisors so that you can broaden their perspective and open their mind to where it's possible to go. I thought of something while you guys were talking when I I've started approaching my own personal trips recently, instead of trying to see all the hotels in one city, I've tried to experience different regions of a country that might be asked for. So for example, like Italy's a, a, an easy place to do this. So my first Italy trip, I did the obvious. I did the Rome, the Tuscany, Florence, and Venice. And then when I went back, I visited all new regions that are less commonly requested so that I can talk to clients about like, well, here's what everyone does. But 
if you consider this other region, this might actually be a better fit for you. So instead of getting in the trap of like, there's two beautiful hotels across the street, I had drinks with the GM at this one. And I know, and this one had a renovation last year, like instead, like, what if we talked about regions of the world, or like in Botswana, there's four major regions you can visit and go on safari, are all of them necessary? Are all of them really different from one another? Do you really have to visit all of them? Or could you get by with just two? So that's also something I've tried to start. It's exhausting. Don't get me wrong. I came home from my safari like never again. Oh my God. But it, it really is helpful for me so that I, that final region I went to in the Kalahari, I can say, this is great for some clients. It's not necessary for all clients. And I can say that because I've been there. So. Yeah. I think that when, when I know, and I'm, I'm guessing it sounds like you do this, Whitney, and maybe you gals do as well. Like when I'm looking at a destination, the first point of research is looking at where most tourists would go and then where least the least number of tours go. And I try my best to do both, whatever country I'm going to, because I think, yes, you're going to get clients saying, I want to tick this box, ding, ding, ding. But then it's, it's an opportunity for us to really shine to say, well, yes, but I just came back from this really like gem of a, an area that's just a two hour drive away or a 45 minute flight away. And this is what this area combined, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I love that Whitney, that to know the most visited and least visited and tie those into whatever destination we choose to experience for ourselves. And I think that's what really makes us look like rock stars is when we're able to recommend a place that they hadn't considered, that they hadn't heard their friends talking about already. They go and they love it. That's really what where we can show the value that we provide. So let's dive into a little bit into organized fams, where we have a lot less flexibility as to what we do on a day-to-day basis. And I feel like there's a lot of pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages to both situations. So Sarah Brooke, how are, what are your thoughts on organized fams, whether it's organized by our consortia, our host agency, perhaps a tourism board or directly by a supplier? Do you actively seek out these opportunities and think, hey, I want to experience that tour, that cruise, that, you know, whatever. And do you seek them out or do you just kind of, I know some advisors avoid them because there is so little flexibility in it. And it often is so rigid as to what you're doing on that itinerary. So what are your thoughts on organized fams? I think that they can be great and I do seek them out. We get some great invitations from our partners. Either they come to Betty Joe or they come to me or someone in our team. And I think that they're wonderful to develop relationships in the industry, uh, whether it's with fellow travel advisors or really seeing how your guests could be treated with a ground operator, a tour guide, et cetera, in the destination. I think they're great um, and super educational. I I wouldn't personally avoid them. I I do know people that do, but for me, I I think they're great and I I accept the ones that are a good fit. I think you really should only accept uh, organized fam if you think it, if you have clients for it though. If you can't sell it, don't accept it. I mean, they're spending budget money on you. You know, if you can't, you can't sell it, don't accept it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> say something about that. So I think as a travel advisor, we have a responsibility to our suppliers also in the same light of like, oh, they're inviting you to also respect that because I know someone who's been on like 80 fams and has no clients. And I'm like, how are they getting invited on all these? So I've personally avoided them and I go where I want to go. And if someone invites me, that's different. But it's always people, now the invitations come because of the sales I've made in specific regions. So I feel like now I'm, 
okay to accept. I didn't get a ton of invitations. That's why I traveled so much on my own and made that schedule for myself because I felt like if I don't go, I won't make sales. And then that equates also, I'm never going to get invitations. So it's interesting the people who out of, you know, straight out of the gate, get all these invites. That wasn't my experience. But for my team, I try to pass on anything that I personally am invited. If I can't go, I want one of them to go because I didn't have someone doing that for me. So I think I came in at a very different level than so many people. And just I respect the suppliers who are inviting me. Yes, but I never want to take a fam if I know I can't sell it. I've been shocked at people, this particular advisor, I know she's been to like every country in the world. And I'm just like, how? And like, she'll never sell. That's concerning. And I mean, I don't know how that's working on the back end, but that concerns me too, because like you said, we have to respect the suppliers. And and I have turned down some fams once I kind of got into the business and started realizing who am I working with and understanding, is this something that's going to interest my clients? Is this something that I feel like I could sell? So Beth, hypothetical situation, you receive a fam invite from a supplier to, where have you never been? Where have you never been in South America? Bolivia? Yeah, no, it's on my list. Yeah, no. I've never right. been. <laughs> okay. Hypothetical. You receive a fam invite from a supplier partner to Bolivia, or you plan your own personal fam to Bolivia. What process are you going to go through to decide how you would like to experience that destination? So there's a couple things, you know, with these invites, and I was going to ask you gals this too, because there's been a situation where I know of a destination that I want to go to, for example, Bolivia, and I'll look at who our preferred on the ground partners are, and I'll reach out to them and ask them two questions. One, this is on my personal list. I love to experience this country I've never been. I'm trying to boost my sales in Central and South America. You know, what are the options if I, on my own, come? Like, how can we meet up and how can I experience your tour guides and that kind of thing? Or the other option is like, hey, do you guys have any fams coming up for next year? Maybe it makes sense that I get on that list of, you know, to consider, which is actually what I did for Tibet in 2018. In late 17, Tibet had always been on my bucket list. And Whitney, you um, introduced me to Wild China's director at one of our travel events. And we just hit it off and we started talking. And I was like, you know what? I really have always wanted to go to Tibet. And she was like, I'm going to put you on the short list for 2018. And so, you know, then I went on that trip and it was five hotels in Beijing and da 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 in like, you know, running a hundred miles an hour, but I got to go to Tibet (laughs) and it was, you know, got some amazing other travel advisor connections. So I think that when you get that invite, there's just those couple things that you have to go through. Is it a tour guide company that you're going to work with in the future? I mean, it can be XYZ that we've never heard of. And you're like, okay, I don't know if they're reputable. How long have they been in business? Are they going to, you know, is their quality of touring going to meet our luxury client standards? And then, Mm -hmm. or is it someone that we need to like be proactive and say, hey guys, I'm thinking of doing this personally. How can we work together? Does that make sense? Yes. But that's with respect too. You're doing it with yes, you want to travel there. But also I think that helps us to sell it. I have no interest in selling personally Antarctica. I would never go there. So if someone offered that to me, I would say, I'm so sorry, but look for another advisor who actually has interest in being on a boat in the freezing cold. Like I have no desire. I want to be on a beach. So I think that's the extreme like example is that if you're just taking every fam just to do it, yes, you're getting to travel. Yes, you're getting experience. But I think so many people get in this business for just that reason. 
reason. And it feels so not genuine. You know, it just feels very self-serving. I think one of the advantages that I've really understood with organized fans is they'll often take me to places that I might not have selected otherwise for a variety of reasons. When I attended a fam in Colombia, logistically, it would have been complicated and expensive to get to this one area of the country. But because it was part of the organized fam, I got to experience it. And so I can really talk to clients about that. The downside, or let's say disadvantage, is that that organized fam was jam-packed from the moment we arrived in the Miami airport until we returned. And so I would have loved the opportunity to have a day or two at the beginning or a day or two at the end to see a couple more hotels, to do a couple more activities that maybe weren't included, but that I know clients might be interested in. Just like a little bit of flexibility. So that's one thing I also look at with organized fans is are flights included where I have to arrive and depart with the group and I don't have any flexibility? Or am I getting somewhere on my own? And if I want to arrive a day or two earlier, stay a day or two later, I can. I, I really like the flexible options for me personally. But that's one thing I do look for. Yeah, I look for that as well. Same with events too. Um, like if I'm going to a conference and it's in it, it's in Paris or something in France, like I, I want to stay a little bit longer just to see what new hotels are there and you know do a new activity or something. Same with events. I think that would be good advice for new advisors and something I actually haven't been good about is when you do a fam trip is to plan either pre or like almost like cruising, right? Pre or post that it's your itinerary that you can either just decide I'm going to like get an Airbnb or whatever and soak in where I am or like, you know, whatever that is. But I, I, I actually need to be better at doing some downtime around those fam trips because I think that can be really beneficial as well. Because like Whitney's, I mean, we all know it is like from the time you touch ground at the time you leave off it's like packed with activities i think it's important too it's helpful i guess as a new advisor if i had known this right out of and from the beginning it would be better but i didn't realize there were so many options in terms of conferences that you could do that or that they offered that pre and post it's already paid for you come and do it so like i did experience two years in a row which i got the most out of that conference then travel week is obviously you get the most out of that because there are 400 appointments or whatever but uh, when I traveled to Australia, I stayed for an entire month. So I was there for a month around Luxperience and also visited New Zealand and Fiji. Wow. So to have that experience for a month traveling alone on my own schedule with about 10 days, I would say that were packed on a fam. But that was something I can never now go back and say, like, I can't recreate that on my own. I feel like that was a unique experience that I was so blessed with. I think that that's the best way as a new advisor to get started in that to find that conference that you can get into that actually has it set up because then you learn how you should be scheduling your own, you know, travel that helps Mm -hmm. a lot. It's a perfect segue into the industry events and the trade shows because that was my next question for you. So we have trade shows that are put on by our consortia. We have conferences that is luck experience. Is that always in Australia, Emily? I'm not familiar so with that. It was when I mean, what I know of it, it's once a year in Australia, in Sydney, and it's hosted at this giant convention center. So it is a trade show, like not, not um, small appointments. They're like 15 minute long appointments, which I found so much more beneficial because you actually have time to ask personal questions, get to know people more. And then by that time, if I went again, I saw the same suppliers. The familiarity is great. So yeah. 
also they ran fams like South, uh, Victoria Tourism Victoria took eight advisors so we had like three days we went to Kangaroo Island like you can't put a price on that in my opinion in terms of what you learn in three days even because mm-hmm. It's just so beneficial to have the person guiding you and they set it all up for you. It's so easy, right? So does Lux Experience focus on one of the on the South Pacific, like or is it global in terms of the supplier partners who are there? It's everyone. And people you see at Virtuoso are also okay. it yeah. So okay. I felt like it was super well represented. I think it got us it was smaller in a few years. It dwindled a little. Um just because of the cost and also not everybody's gonna travel to Australia and things like that. So I think it's always in Australia, always in Sydney, but the suppliers got less and less. I think it's a smaller show now. I don't know why or if they made change, you know, since sure. I've been it's I've heard it's smaller. But th- I think really what the benefit the two years I went were the post pre and post spams and Mm -hmm. they basically let you pick from a list of 10 and then you numbered them in order of like importance to your priority and then you were assigned a fam so like one year I got assigned in New Zealand so I went there first then went to the conference it was just incredible I mean that's a tremendous opportunity to highlight I think that's really important of when you can combine the fam and the event because I don't I don't think I've done that properly like that before but I will also say a lot of work (laughs) it took me like three years to attend the big like travel week and the big events that I knew about just automatically for my consortia to start asking what are the other events going on around the world like there's gotta it can't just be travel week like there's gotta be other things but it took me a long time to ask that question and now that I've learned about so many there's a lot of other events that I really prefer now over travel week for a lot of different reasons that we can dive into. So assuming, of course, a typical workload, attending an event not only means that we have the time away from home, the time away from our business, the expenditure to get there, the time that we're spending in the event, but we also have an overflowing inbox. We can sometimes return home to a pretty stressful situation and feel like we're behind in our business. So we really, really have to consider the opportunity cost of saying yes to each of these events. So Sarah Brooke, how are you deciding which events and conferences you're attending each year, whether it's virtual or in person, doesn't matter. How are you deciding which to attend and which to pass on? And what are you looking for to really evaluate that opportunity cost? Yeah, sure. Um, So I mean, gosh, if we were to accept like all of the events that we were invited to, it would be a full-time job. You would do nothing else. You would just be professionally in an event. (laughs) I would be professionally attending events. Uh, And something I really admire from our company's founder, Betty Jo, is that she has really built up these connections and relationships in the industry. And she's gotten invited to and on the list for many sought after events um, in the industry and she passes them along to our advisors, our team that that she knows is a great fit for that type of event, whether it's something that focuses more on adventure travel or something that focus more on, focuses more on hotel sales. So it really depends on, you know, what we're focusing on. And for me, I mean, like there's one that's just for specialists in, in Italy, for example, that that's on my list for for the future to attend or one that's just for specialists in France, which I have a lot of business for. So I think I personally will accept the ones that are maybe a little smaller and that kind of give us access to suppliers that we may not have access to. You know, there's so many other events that that have that. And it's funny, I was just emailing with Betty Jo, our founder yesterday, going through all the events for 2021. And 
marking them and seeing who was going to who and when they were, where they were. And it's a full calendar next year, especially assuming they can all happen. Beth, are there some events that you absolutely won't miss? Are there some that you've attended once and you kind of feel like I'm probably good there? I mean, how do you decide which events you're going to attend each year? So I think there's three main reasons. One along what Sarah Brooke was saying is like a niche market, which has kind of been something that's come to mind later in this business for me, like year five. And Whitney, you were the one that introduced me to We Are Africa. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, and you were raving (laughs) about it and it's, you know, it's invite only. And so, but that's going to be one where you have a more, like Sarah Brooks said, a more intimate environment. It's, it's, you know, you're increasing your professional knowledge of the destination and it's Africa only suppliers or France only suppliers. And I think that's a great opportunity. I mean, the overall umbrella for any event that I choose is going to be B2B goals. It's going to be, you know, networking and increased industry knowledge. Like those are the two things. And so in conjunction with that goal, you also look at the event's reputation, right? So we have resources now, whether it's Facebook forums, or now I have two new friends in the industry here (laughs) that I can say like, hey guys, like I'm invited to this. What do you think? Is it worth my time? Is it worth the money? And and Whitney, you bring up a good point. I mean, and, and Emily too, like, yes, there can be events overseas that we could maybe tie into personal, you know, travel research, but that costs money. So I typically am more likely to do events that are domestically located. And when it comes to travel, that's its own thing. I I typically don't Mm -hmm. combine a a travel, you know, a trade show or, you know, conference with, with my personal travel, but B2B, the events reputation and cost. And then is it a niche event, more intimate event that you could maybe get more out of? So I've started noticing now that I started applying for a lot of different events. I've started, I I can now articulate which ones are my favorite, but why? It's not always, well, this event's just really cool and the dinners are really awesome. It's like Emily said, it's usually the events where our appointments are longer. So my favorite events, the appointments are 10, 15, or 20 minutes. I have 30 appointments instead of 400. And so I'm able before the event to look at each supplier partner's website that I'm going to meet, ask questions, like write down, like as I'm looking through their information, hmm, I wonder about this, or I wonder how this works, or I wonder how they handle this situation. And so I can actually go into that appointment prepared with some questions, as opposed to when you're at an event and you're just seeing so many, you, at the end of the day, you don't remember who you spoke with. And so they might say, we met at Virtuoso. And I'm, really? I don't remember that. Because it's, it's too much sometimes. And the second thing that I really, really love are the regional focused events. When I attended We Are Africa, I left not only experiencing this amazing event, but also I learned so much about Africa because all of the suppliers like tied in together. I would be at one meeting and they're pointing across the room like, hey, we work with him all the time. And your mind is just racing when you're seeing a new country, a new region, a new city every four minutes, as opposed to we're all partners. We all work together. I plan Zimbabwe. He plans Botswana. We work together on a regular basis. I do tours in Cape Town. We work with that hotel a lot. So now, of course, I love Virtuoso. I go almost every year, every other year. I'm not going to miss it. This is not a this or that. It's when I'm making my decision, I'm looking at how niche is the product, how what destination does it specify in, or is it like a global situation? And how long are the appointments? Because I have felt for me personally, that's where I leave feeling that I gained the greatest benefit from my time away. 100%. 
A hundred percent. I mean, I think I'm guessing we all have told anyone whose ears are open, can we make the, the travel week appointments longer? Can we make them all, you know, 10 to 15 minutes because, you know, you get so much more out of it. I also think like it's so many that by the, the last day, people are literally just counting down to their last appointment. It's like, how beneficial is that last day? They're just popping <laughs> champagne and then watching the screen count down. I'm like three hours ago, we could have called this, you know? If any amazing things come out of this crazy year with all of our virtual events, I hope the virtual events continue because that's so much more cost effective and time efficient for us as advisors. I was starting to look at certain events of like, oh, I want to go every year, but like the time and money that it's going to take, that's going to take away from this event. So maybe I'll do every other year. But if we can do virtual and if I can take a little one hour break here and there to go check in on the baby and have some food and like recharge my brain cells, I'll sign up for the virtual one every year. So I really hope that that is something really positive and beneficial that comes out of this year is that these virtual events continue. I think also for new advisors, virtuoso can be so overwhelming. Like the first time I went, I remember sitting and again, this is because I had not traveled the entire world. Um, And I'm still working on that. But I sat in my my table and I kept thinking, wow, these are places I may never sell. Like these are huge nightly expenses that maybe I will never have a client for. And I remember that year, I mean, it was 2015 in August, I made a list of 10 properties I thought I would never sell because I was so overwhelmed by thinking like this will never happen for me. And I've not only sold all of them now, I've been to all of them. Amazing. Was like that showed me that, you know, you can learn so much. You you just have to have the passion for this job. You can get yeah. burnt out. <laughs> but I think like keeping that in focus is super important for new people. And I'm still new. <laughs> Yeah, there's so much to learn. I, I leave every event just like giddy with excitement because I'm always learning. Yeah, same here. Okay, so when considering each of these opportunities, we've talked about personal travels, organized fams, industry events, conferences. If each of you are willing, I would like to talk a little bit about how each of us approaches the investment that is required to travel and to learn and to take advantage of these types of professional development opportunities that we have as advisors and as small business owners. Because yes, we are able to travel sometimes for less expensive than it is retail, but it's very, very rarely free, free, free. And sometimes that happens, but it's just, that's not the norm. That's For me, it's been the exception. So do each of you plan out in advance a very detailed plan each year of what event you want to attend and what the trip cost will be? Is there a specific percentage of your revenue that you set aside or a specific every year you say, I have this much to spend on events and travels and how it goes, it goes, but I have this much. How are you like, I'm sure that at the end of the day, the bottom line looks the same, but I would like to know what you're thinking in your mind and how you make those decisions financially each year for each of these opportunities. Beth, do you want to take this one first? This is a good question. And I'll be interested to hear what you gals all share. But I think for me, the number one allocation for my, you know, extra budget towards professionally advancing my knowledge is going to be travel, not necessarily the events or, and I don't consider fam trips a given. So when I'm budgeting my annual travel, it's going to be my personal travel. Like you said, it may be less than retail compared to what what other people are spending, but by no means is is it even half of, you know, it's still a considerable amount. And so every year I have that amount in my head. The older I get, the more I have to budget for business class because I can't deal with not being able to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I'm such a wuss. Like I'm like, I need to sleep before I get there. <laughs> 
So yeah, so my budget's going up a little bit, but you know, as so yeah, the travel's going to be the the most amount, and I do have a cap, you know, based on my Bastion World Travel revenue the year before, and in expectation of certain growths for the next year. Obviously, 2020 is a crazy year, but typically, based on the expected growth, then I take a portion of of my profits and say, okay, next year my budget for travel is going to be this much. And honestly, the 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 trade shows or the events, I will. Pay travel week every other year just because I think it's a must. But any other event, maybe one or two, honestly, I'm not going to go above like maybe five grand. That's just my personal cap. So I'm trying to do travel week and then maybe one or two others. But really the majority is, is is the travel itself. So to just to clarify, you're looking at what you profited one year to help you decide what you'll spend the following year. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Emily, how do you approach this? What's your perspective on on the finances of all of this? Okay. So I find in reviewing years past that I am spending around 30% of what I bring in on travel. And that sounds like a crazy number, but I do believe that it's so much of it goes back into your business. And then I spend at least like $1,000 on a client who's spending over $20,000. I would say I gift them at least $1,000 of something, Um, whether it's an experience. We do that a lot with our clients. So like when you take all of it into consideration, I am spending a huge chunk of our profit that I personally bring in, but it goes right back in and it's just serving my client and serving the knowledge I'm giving them. And I feel like that's so invaluable in terms of, yes, I need to make money. Yes. But I find that if I'm not investing that much, I can't possibly get where I need to get in terms of seeing places that I haven't been or et cetera. For example, I went on a Maldives fam. I've been in the Maldives 22 nights between two different trips. And those would have been $60,000 trips. I paid my airfare. That's incredible. And yes, that's a perk. But it was also long days of, you know, enjoying as well as seeing properties. And it wasn't a, it was a very luxurious family in that the time we were given to explore and experience the property was what great, but not all my fams are like that. More Mm -hmm. often than not, I go on one group fam a year, one. They're usually two weeks long, or I go where I want all year on my own. And I travel about 300 days a year, which is a lot of... Really? But that's also domestic. It's not just I'm sitting at home in Texas or I'm out of the country, not out of the country 300 days a year. I would say half and half, but still a very big amount of travel. And I feel very lucky only because my husband's job is flexible where we can do that. You have to take it into consideration of what the whole year looks like. But typically I'm on a group fam two weeks a year. And then at a conference virtuoso, and I also try to go to one other conference a year. I've never been invited to ILTM in France. So I'm not that person that goes to that conference every year. I've been to one in Mayakoba. I loved it. And I found that very beneficial for my business there. But I don't sell Europe ever. You mentioned approximately 30% of your revenue. Are you talking commissions that come to you in your hand? The way that I, I quoted that is I consider my fees as my pay. Yes. Okay. My commissions are all savings. So I use that as a savings. So the operating expenses I'm talking about came from my fees. So you're talking 30% of your fees. Oh. Which I like, think you're, like your, planning, your planning fees? Yes. Okay. 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 And your commissions are just kind of set aside, whether it's savings for your business or savings for you personally, 
it just goes in the bank account. Is your fee structure an upfront fee or is it like an hourly fee? How, how are you? There, it's all upfront and it's per person. So there are five travelers that each pay the five travel. It's only $250, but I'm getting, I mean, I used to get 20 trip requests a week. A lot of it is because I do destination weddings. So you're talking one trip, but 50 rooms or a hundred rooms at that level. That's a lot of fees. Yeah. Okay. So also am paid a lot to go on site with my clients. So like when I say I'm traveling to X place, it's probably because I'm meeting a client there and facilitating their travel. Okay. Really what I got into. That's why I travel so much, but they're paying me to be there and I'm facilitating on site. Okay. Um, And then I've also flown for a client's honeymoon and waved at them to get on a yacht. Like it's an extreme range. So it depends what I'm doing at that point. But yes, that's 30% of my fees that I'm taking. Thank you for clarifying. Because I think it's so, everybody has such different business models that what you just said sounds insane to the way that I'm running my business. But when you explain, it makes a lot more sense. What I really love is the amount, no, no matter how much it is, no matter how your fee structure is, you reinvest a tremendous percentage back into your business. And whether that is to travel to your, you know, the destination wedding to facilitate the arrivals, or whether that is to for personal travels or gifting, that is tremendous. And I think that I I can only imagine what that's done for the loyalty and building the loyalty of the client. And that's- I was going to say, so our clients, like, for example, a client I just visited, Palmaya in Cancun near, it's in Playa Car, it's a new resort, five-star boutique hotel owned by Sandos, but it's in within their resort. So it's not their three-star property, but it's five-star. I have a client who she couldn't travel. I'm traveling for her to facilitate all of her contracts and her wedding. She literally won't see the place until she goes. So that's what I'm doing when I'm saying, oh, I'm traveling here. It's not not for me, right? It's usually for a client. So I do that just as a, to make it easier on them. They don't have to go and deal with the resort at all. They don't talk to them. I do everything for them, Um, but they're paying me to do that. So it's different in that I am being paid to go somewhere instead of me having to pay for that cost. It's already covered. So that also has to be taken into consideration as to how much I'm traveling. But I think a lot of people think always I'm at a hotel for free. That's not the case where it's an agent, yeah. rate, which I'm happy to pay. You know, I'll pay full price if I really want to mm-hmm. go somewhere. I just like mm-hmm. a client. And I think that's where I have not abused that right, you know, at, that perk. It's not a right, mm-hmm. it's a perk. And I think in a post COVID world, more advisors need to be open to the idea that there aren't agent rates right now, you know, and don't expect it. It's just not, it's, I feel like how could we expect that out of our partners who've been closed for five yeah. months? Sarah, how are you approaching the finances of this? Do you have kind of an annual plan in the agency? I mean, what's what's your perspective on this? Well, I kind of have two perspectives. I started out as an IC and now I... So I kind of have that like a personal budget model for that. And it it was kind of, it was, you know, partially how much money I was selling for clients and just a portion of that I would reinvest into the business. And I I followed that for, for a couple of years. And then now as an, as an owner and, you know, someone with a leadership position in our organization, we're actually kind of going through that right now where we're looking at our budget and figuring out, you know, what are we going to allocate next year, especially after, you know, this COVID year, like what can we allocate and, you know, make it a business expense. So I don't have as much experience as either of you two or three discussing it. Um, I'm actually learning in this conversation. I mean, 
I approach it even a little bit differently. So I can throw this in the mix just for people to consider as opposed to looking at like year end, take part of my profit and apply it to next year. Since commissions coming in and fees coming in every single month are so different, you know, we can have like high months and low months. I just treat it as percentages. So every single month I look at what I earned, doesn't matter commission or fee, a certain percentage is just set aside for my accountant for taxes a certain percentage is set aside for my business. And then the remaining percentage goes to me, not as a salary, but like as a payment to myself for my work. The commission that I keep for my business is anywhere. It's usually around 20, 25% of my total revenue. And that just, I kind of treat it as a slush fund. It sits in my business checking account. I can use it for an industry event. I can use it to take a client to lunch or coffee if they're in, you know, local. I can use it to travel and to do site inspections. I can use it for anything as long as it's professional development. And so every time I plan a trip and every time I get an invite for an event or I apply, you know, whatever for a fam, I'm making the decision as to whether to accept or not or how much to spend on that trip based on that slush fund. So if it's low because I've been doing a lot that year, that's going to factor into my decision for the invitation at hand. If it's high and I see like, this is a great opportunity, I have the money to pay for it, then yes. So I just kind of have like a running slush fund in that way. That's the way that I've approached it. So I was going to share with you gals, because I know Emily, you mentioned a 30% number. And as we're all talking, I'm like crunching the numbers, what I've kind of used in the past, you know, but like Whitney, I combine everything together. It all like commissions, fees, it all goes to one business account. It's not separated. But as I'm thinking, it's, it typically ends up being 20%. I think that's allocated towards travel for professional development. So I know Sarah Brooke, you were talking about, you know, you guys are kind of analyzing this. And I think we're all in that 30 to 20% where we're taking travel. Yes, it's exciting. We love it, but it's work and it, it improves our business and our ability to be knowledgeable for our clients. And also I'm using that money for non-professional development purposes, such as paying for the systems and the software that I'm using and paying for a copywriter to help me with a newsletter or paying for some some help with social media or my website. So that slush fund is for all okay. of the above. And every year I kind of sit down and think, okay, what are my priorities this year? Do I need a new website? Do I need to bring on a copywriter? Nope. I've got those settled. So let's focus on travel. That's usually what I say, but you know, like it's the money is there to decide like, what does my business really need this year? Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, there's a charitable giving part of it too. There's some certain, you know, funds in the travel industry that we will donate to. And I mean, if a hotel got destroyed by the California fires, sometimes we'll donate to that. There's several, you know, places in Africa that we support. I mean, so it, it kind of depends too on that, or if we want to donate something to a local charity auction, a couple nights at a hotel or waive our trip planning fees for a trip, you know, in, in the name of charity, that kind of we, we look at that as well. That's, yeah, that's a really great point. Thank you for mentioning that as well. Ladies, I feel like we could go on and on and on and on. But I am going to try to wrap this up. If each of you had one key piece of advice to offer travel advisors about professional development and really maximizing their potential as entrepreneurs, whether it's regarding personal travels and how to approach it, whether it's regarding FAMs, industry events and trade shows, or whether it's regarding how these financial decisions and investments are decided, what key piece of advice might you offer for advisors? I'll go first. Uh, Always charge a fee. That's like bottom line, the worst lesson I've learned (laughs) the entire time. I let people take advantage of me for about two years before I decided it was time to charge a fee. And no one really guided me on it. I was I just felt kind of like I'm just going to figure this out on my own. And I wish from the beginning, even if it's $25, that is your time. 
And that has been the most, that has changed my business so much charging a fee and being holding also my client accountable for I, my time. I think, um, thank you for mentioning that. A lot of times the fee conversations that I hear is charge a fee for your time, but what has also come up for your time and expertise, right? But what's also come up today is that charging a fee enables us more flexibility to reinvest in our business and to take advantage of these professional development opportunities. So it's, multifaceted the reasons behind we should why we should charge a fee yeah but i think what i learned the hardest way <laughs> i feel like people just weren't accountable and they could request quote after quote after quote and then i would see it show up on my facebook feed they're on the trip i planned and they didn't take it that hurt yeah. so bad and i'm not making any money and they didn't have any accountability for it and i'm like you did not know about this place that i told you until i've I had that you. happen and i was really upset with the clients it took me a little bit of time to realize this is my fault i don't know yeah. if they understand how i make money maybe they think that i make money in a way that's not regarding bookmaking okay it was all my fault. yeah so yep. my amazing beth one piece of advice you'd give to advisors on anything related to professional development? Okay. Well, so I'm going to stick with our topic today being like where to travel, like how to plan travel. Cause Emily, a hundred, one thousand percent, I agree with the fee, <laughs> but I'm just going to go with the travel and how to decide where to travel. So it can be super overwhelming, right? Because we want to travel the world. I mean, any country we haven't been to, of course, it's going to be on our list. At the end of the day, I know we want to do right by our clients, but we also have to feed that passion of ours, right? So I think my advice would be, yes, keep revenue opportunities in the back of your mind when you're thinking about where to travel, but make sure you want to go there. Make sure that when you come back, you're going to be so inspired that even if it wasn't a request from your clients, it may start to be because you're so excited about it and you're able to promote it. So I think, yes, there's a world out there to choose from. So it can be overwhelming. Think about revenue opportunities, but also make sure you can be passionate about that destination. I love that. Sarah Brooke, what would you offer to advisors? I would say similar on um, what Beth was saying. Also just kind of piggybacking with that. I think using these networking opportunities or FAMs or personal travels as a way to really hone in on these relationships with the industries, really like find the suppliers you like, find the hotels that you like to work with and that you know will be good, a good fit for your clients and, and kind of build, build your, what you're doing around that. I mean, I think that that is the most important thing starting out. You want to figure out who you can work with, who you enjoy working with and really build the trips around that and, and the professional development opportunities will come. Mm -hmm. And finding those suppliers may come from attending these events. And that's why it's so important. Every single event I attend, I come home like, oh, I got a new partner for this destination. I've been looking for this person <laughs> and I didn't know who it was until now. So I'm going to throw in one more idea and that is just to say whether it is a personal trip, an organized fam, an industry event, whatever it is, prepare before you get there. Don't just show up and hope for the best and think, oh, I've got 60, 100, 200 appointments. It's going to be great. What questions are you going to ask them? Who are they? When they sit down in front of you, don't ask them who they are. You should know exactly who they are. Are they a hotel in, in Switzerland or are they an on-site for African safaris? Like you should know that. Don't ask questions that you can Google when you get back home. Utilize that time wisely and ask questions for, you know, that is going to lead to a, an interesting discussion and a conversation with that person sitting in front of you. And when you're going on organized fams and personal travels, 
Think about a social media strategy. Think about how you're going to put that on your blog when you get home. Think about the newsletter that you're going to write. Take notes while you're traveling. Just prepare, prepare, prepare before, during, and after. And that I feel like is how you really maximize the opportunity cost that it takes to spend the money and the time to be doing all this professional development. And that's when it comes full circle and it really benefits your business. I got a little soapboxy there. Sorry, guys. Oh, no. I totally agree. I agree with that. Emily, Sarah, and Beth, I have learned so much today and I trust that everyone listening has as well. Thank you all for your willingness and for your enthusiasm to be a part of the conversation. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Masters in Travel. If you want more, head over to mastersintravelpod.com for show notes and links to the resources we discussed in today's episode. If you loved today's interview as much as I did, please take a moment to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to share this podcast with an advisor who is ready to level up their travel business. To continue the conversation, find us on Instagram at Masters in Travel, where we preview upcoming episodes and engage with our listeners to decide what topics to cover next. We'll see you next time.